0: Hey friends, welcome to La Vital Core Salon. I'm your host and salonniere, Kara Martin Snyder, and I deeply love talking to women who are not letting bullshit or burnout stop them. In making this podcast for a couple of years now, a frequent question I've gotten as a sort of co producer of this podcast is how I choose which guests come on the show or how I find the guests. So many of the vital core salon podcasts start with me getting sparked by something I've observed or experienced this past year. When I was watching the Kentucky Derby, I started wondering why I wasn't seeing any women in the race itself and started wondering if women have ever been in the race. The answer is actually six for those of you who want to know, But it sent me down this rabbit hole where I learned a ton about today's guest, Diane Crump. Let me give you a little taste of Diane's cred. Diane Crump is a former professional jockey and horse trainer. On February 7th, 1969, Diane became the first woman to compete as a professional jockey in a professional race in the United States. This was in the wake of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, so you have a little bit of historical context where we're at. She was also the first woman to ride in the Kentucky Derby in 1970, where she rode a horse called Fathom. Diane's been name dropped in an essay by Hunter S. Thompson from Scanlon's Monthly in 1970. Over her long career, she's posted 235 firsts, 199 seconds, and 198 thirds in 1,682 starts. These days, she runs her own business, and it's an equine sales and, dare I say, horse and rider matchmaking service in Virginia. And if that wasn't all enough, she worked with author Mark Schrager on the forthcoming book about her life called Diane Crump. A Horse Racing Pioneer's Life in the Saddle. All of that said, if you or someone you know, literally just one human, needs some inspiration, has bumped up against the kind of prejudice Diane and I are going to talk about, or just digs all things equine, then please share this episode. You'll be supporting La Vital Course Salon, and you'll be amplifying Diane's story. For those of you who are chomping at the bit to meet Diane, voila! Here's the conversation. Hi, Diane. Welcome to the Vital Core Salon.
1: Well, hello. Thank you, and I appreciate it. I look forward to it.
0: This is so exciting. I feel like I first read about your story when I was googling around leading up to the Kentucky Derby. And I was wondering, like, how come there's no women? And then I looked, and it turns out there have been a few women, and that led me to your story. Diane, when did you first encounter a horse?
1: I was four years old. My parents took me to a carnival. I lived in Connecticut with no horses anywhere in sight, right on Long Island Sound. And for the first time, I got a ride on a pony. When I put my leg across that little fellow's back, I knew that was it. I was instantly enamored. I just, I loved it. From that day on, I I don't know. I was horse crazy from the first time I ever <laughs> sat on a pony. It's crazy. But it, I think what you have inside of you is there waiting to be opened.
0: <laughs> How was your parents' reaction to that? Because I feel like even as a kid myself, I was like, Mom, can we get a pony? And then you <laughs> bug your parents about it. What did that look like?
1: You know, I, I will say, they were so supportive of me because, for one thing, I was an animal lover. I was always, you know, up and down the beach, saving seagulls and ducks and pelicans. And, of course, I had, you know, rescued every stray dog. And <laughs> so they already knew I was an animal <laughs> lover. They were good They were good with that because my parents were the kind that whatever you loved, they were for you. They wanted you to be able to do what you loved. So that I definitely had that from... Day one. Parents that supported whatever any of us loved to do. They wanted us to do that.
0: Got it. So you're this little girl out saving animals, and now you want a horse, which is lots of maintenance. It's an enormous animal. They take up a lot of space. They have a lot of needs. When did you get your first horse?
1: Yeah, they they were like, "Mm, no. Our yard is, you know, (laughs) barely... Big enough to, you know, for a postage stamp. So we had a teeny, we had a teeny little yard in Connecticut. So that wasn't happening. But they were like, they said, "Look, we are going to move to Florida one day because your dad wants to build a marina, and when we move, you can get your horse." So from that moment on, I saved. I got a paper route. I did odd jobs. I mowed lawns. I saved every single penny so that when I moved to Florida, I could buy a horse. I mean, in the meantime, when I was seven, they gave me a package of riding lessons for my birthday. So, I mean, we weren't that close, and we didn't have any money. So I got that, and we could go. There was a livery stable about a half an hour from our home where you could go to to ride for an hour. So whenever I could save $2, they would take my friend and I to to go riding on on Saturday afternoons. But that was about it because there just wasn't any horses close to us. But the passion for that never ever died. I read every horse book they ever wrote as for children's books. <laughs> I drew horse heads on every single paper that I ever wrote in in school. I mean, my parents were they did wonder how I could possibly be so obsessed. But they didn't discourage me. They were they were fine. They
0: were in my corner. I have to imagine, as parents, it had to be so funny where they're just thinking, like, what is this kid doing? Like, you were probably, like, making little
1: budgets for your your horse farm in the future and, like, drawing pictures I mean, I on just, everything. Every single penny went to my horse fund. So, yes, I'm sure they were <laughs> a little wa- wondering, but they also knew that I had an extremely hard head. So I think they knew the day would come. They just didn't know how, what, why, you know, why, when, but (laughs) they knew it was coming. The details were yet to be seen.
0: (laughs) I feel like when people today talk about manifesting their dreams in some way and, like, pouring energy into it, you know, as well as taking the really, like, practical steps to to make that happen, you sound like a test case for that.
1: I would say that's, that's true because what I have in my head what I love, what I want to do, I work toward that goal. Slowly, methodically, nobody deters me. I just make this little plan. Not, not really a plan in a way, but it's, it's that goal that I just keep working towards. I don't know, just with this quiet determination that nothing gets in the way. If it does, I step around it. So I think I have that demeanor.
0: Got it. So you're describing all of these ways that you're working towards having a horse when you get to Florida. At that point as a little girl, did you think being a jockey was anything that would be interesting to you or were you more just focused on having a horse?
1: I was just focused on having a horse. At that point, I just wanted to ride. That was it. And beyond that... I I don't think I ever even knew about a racehorse or a racetrack. I just wanted to ride a horse. I just loved horses for the sake of the horse. And that was it. So beyond that, everything happened one step at a time. So the goal was getting my first horse. And that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you made it to Florida. We made it to Florida. My parents didn't, when I was 12, they were able to pack up and moved to florida so that's what we did they didn't they had no idea where they were going my dad was going to build a marina they didn't know where my mother always felt when it was right we'll know it so we we drove to florida we went down the east coast and up the west coast and when we got to the tampa area my mother said this is it this is this is where we're going to stay this feels like home So that's what we did Actually we a lot of it the way we camped or we just got a hotel room, we camped out, we did whatever. Down just testing out the state. And I mean obviously it had to be close to the water since we you know, we built my dad she wanted, wanted to build a, a marina. marina. <laughs> yeah. Hard so, to build anyway, one of those so we, inland. Yeah, when we got to that when we got to the Tampa area, that was it. They wound up buying a little bait shop on Gandhi Bridge. That was at least to sustain things till my dad could find the land for a marina. And when we started searching around, we bought a house on the west side of Tampa, which was closer to Oldsmar. And the land that they found was in Oldsmar, which is exactly where Tampa Bay Downs is. It was Sunshine Park, and then later Florida Downs, and now Tampa Bay Downs. None of us knowing... That racetrack road meant a racetrack was on that road for horses, <laughs> that is. You know what I mean? So none of, nobody knew that. It wasn't a thought, but that's just where we, where we wound up. That's where we landed. And my dad wound up buying land in Oldsmar on the bay. And so it was perfect. We lived, you know, on the west side of Tampa and did wind up buying a house in Oldsmar. And I got my first riding horse and boarded it at a little barn at the end of Racetrack Road, (laughs) little by little. Started a riding club, got a job a year and a half later on a horse farm, unbeknownst to me that it was actually a racehorse farm. They just needed a kid to handle the weanlings, somebody that loved horses, to just do work there, help with the broodmares, handle the weanlings, teach them how to lead. So little by little... Here I was riding my horse every day, had friends, started a riding club involved with riding. Just that's what I loved. I just loved horses and little by little out riding came across the racetrack just by pure accident. And it was instant, total fascination. And I will say from that day on, the love of it just kept growing and growing. There was something about it that fascinated me. And I, it never stopped, never. And so we it was off-season, so there weren't any horses there, but just the racetrack, the barn area, it just, there was a fascination to it. And I'd ride around the back, because it was in the country, ride around the back, and you could go, you could actually get into it on horseback. From the back, ride in just the barn area, ride around the track, and there was nobody there, just on my, <laughs> you know, just on one of my riding horses. I mean, it was just It was just the coolest feeling. I mean, I'll never forget it to this day, how I felt when I saw it. And I don't think that changed. Well, never changed, actually. So you found your calling.
0: And what's interesting, as I'm listening to you talk, and talk about even your parents in this process, it sounds like your family had this really unique ability to trust the process, right? Like, your dad was probably equally as focused on, I want to build a marina someday. I want to build a marina someday. And it didn't matter where it was. It didn't matter that he didn't know. Absolutely. And there's, like, these parallels
1: in your story, right? Like, 100%. That determination and that knowing that you have this dream and you're going to follow it through no matter what it takes. And then... The family, the ability to to give each of us that freedom that allowed us to follow our dream. No pressure to go anyway. No pressure to say, oh, no, you'll, you can't make a living doing that. It's dangerous. It's risky. It's this. It's that. No, there was never, ever any of that. It was always, yes, you can do it. If that's what you want, then you can do it. We definitely had a freedom to follow whatever was in our heart. and my, I mean, my dad did it, and my mother was very much the encourager for that. And they both felt that we should be able to do what was in our heart, what we loved. And we all were go-getters. We all wanted to, you know, we worked. We did our thing. We stayed busy all the time, seven days a week. We were going <laughs> doing our thing.
0: All of us. <laughs> What's fascinating is a lot of the women listening can get bogged down in planning and feeling like they need to know all of the steps in the process before they can work towards that dream. And I know for me personally, I go back to that Martin Luther King quote that always talks about, and I'm paraphrasing here, taking the first step even though you can't see the entire path in front of you. What do you think allowed you to do that?
1: For one thing, for me, it is, the belief that God is in control of your life so that I do believe but he I believe he gives us a dream and with that dream when we have the hope we have the dream then to follow it through then he's going to see us through so I don't think we don't need to make every plan make every we just need to set our sights on what we want what we're going to do and do it don't plan it I don't if you, my, I will say my dad was like, the worst thing you can do is think too much. It gets you in trouble every single time. So don't overthink it. Do it. Stop thinking and do. You know, I mean, yes, you can have the plan. Of course we have to think. But to overthink it, it, it defeats the purpose. Go do it. The action. Action speaks louder than words. And so... I think you just, you do take each step. Put it one foot in front of the other and go the direction that is in your heart, that you're meant to do. And if you don't overthink it but just keep doing it, it will work the way it's meant to. I have absolutely no doubt. I mean, for me, once I discovered racehorses, yes, I still had my riding horses. I still loved to ride. Sometimes I'd my friends and I would go out and ride all night all night, and just discover different places. Everything looks different at night. Of course, there was country, and we could do that in those days. And then bring our horses back, turn them out, and go straight to work, which was at a farm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was it was crazy, but we did what we loved, and we never stopped. We let that passion drive us to what we loved. No, we didn't overthink it. We just did it. And, Diane, how
0: did your dream change? Because you were this little girl intently focused on, I will have a horse, I will have a horse. Then when you got the horse, was there a dream there, or were you just kind of moving organically forward?
1: Well, both. Because, all right, I loved what I did, but I wanted more. And so I started a riding club. You know, I just put up flyers and started a club. And it was cool. You know, all of us would get together together planned things that we were going to do with our horses, planned our trail rides. So we had fun. We all got together. We all met. And then I met a kid in a club that was a little bit older than I was, and he could drive. So he, he was learning to be a blacksmith. So he was like, hey, I work for a farm that needs help, would like, you know, just some kid, some girl that, likes, that loves horses, that would like to come and, you know, handle the weanlings and, you know, just learn how to teach them how to lead and let them learn how to be handled and get people-oriented, which is important. So anyway, he took me out to the farm and I met them and I got, you know, they hired me. So I'd work two days after, two days a week after school and on the weekends, along with riding my own horses. So I would, I did all that. My parents would drop me off somewhere. I could take the bus, you know, to drop off at the barn and they could pick me up at night. So with the fact that you know, I, I knew I wanted to work with horses, so working at that farm drove me on the, to the passion that was there, and then little by little realizing that they were racehorses, and then when the, the horses came in from up north that had been racing and came in for the meet that was going to happen at Tampa, anyway, took me in there, and that was true fascination. Those were the racehorses. They were going to race, and then... We were kids, so we weren't allowed in the track, but he did smuggle me in. <laughs> and so the, that fascination started really growing. Then I, from just horses and loving them, and wanted to do something in that realm, not knowing exactly what it was, but it didn't matter that I didn't know. Every single day I did something with the horses, did something with the riding club, did something with my job, which was handling horses. And from there, at the track, I knew that something at the racetrack was... It definitely capturing me from there i'd you know we could one of my friends that i rode with we could come into the parking lot and watch the track watch the races we couldn't actually go into the track then although i did get smuggled in from a trainer <laughs> that would put me in the back seat throw blankets over me get me in so i could learn how to i could learn learn how to walk hots, and i just wanted to ride but they were like put me on a you know on a horse to to cool them out on their back instead of by hand so i mean it was just it was a process but i just continued doing what i love and knowing that something in that world was definitely capturing my interest it just I, i loved it and i the more i got involved the more i was interested in it and the more i knew that was my calling whatever it was didn't know about the jockey yet. I wanted a ride. That I knew. But I also loved the whole process. I was interested in the training part. I was interested in the care. You know, at the farm, I was interested in taking care of the horses on the farm. So it was evolving, and I was letting it evolve. Every day I did something, whatever needed to be done. Whatever work needed to be done, I was there doing it. And it, it did evolve, because I loved to ride. That was a given. And I once I started breaking the yearlings, learning how to gallop, having the chance to work horses out of the gate. So little by little, it evolved that I knew that I wanted to ride races. But it was it was a process. But I knew that it was something in that field.
0: And there is something magical about taking action, whether it is like the most strategic, rational, straightforward action Or maybe this like roundabout action, right? Like you were learning all of these skills around being a jockey, but without that being the focus, it's easy to know or confirm that you're moving in the right direction, even if you can't see the path fully. But also like for the things that I'm sure along the way, there were parts of this that maybe you were like, yeah, that part's not as interesting to me. And that's information too, right?
1: Absolutely. In the horse world, there really wasn't anything that wasn't interesting to me. I mean, I did love it all, but I knew what, because the thought of being a vet or different aspects of that field, you know, yes, I I was always interested because I wanted the knowledge of what to do. You know, so I wanted that. But then I knew that riding was the strongest of my passions. So, But I learned all the care, the breeding, the broodmares, the foals, you know, getting horses ready for the sale. I was involved with all of that, the process, as I came along. But the main focus, the, once I delved into it, and the more I realized that it was to be a jockey was the, was the greatest of all, the, the strongest of the feelings. And once I got to that point, there was no doubt. But I always, always loved all of it. I loved the training part. I loved the care So I always loved all of it, but that was my passion, no doubt whatsoever.
0: And now I think, having brushed up for this interview and read a lot about you and hearing you talk, the idea of you sitting in veterinary science classes, like, it it almost makes me laugh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it made me laugh. Uh, You know, I thought about it because I, I was always interested in, like, when a horse had an injury or when things happened Uh, because certainly on a horse farm you see a lot of things happen, you know, horses having severe injuries, you know, and I was always strong enough to be able to handle it. You know, I mean, I've sewn horses up. I mean, there's nothing I haven't done. I mean, I've dealt with actually some pretty horrific injuries and was able to handle it, but no. But sitting in a classroom... That would be horrible, so I couldn't have ever got... I could do the practical part, but the other part mm, wasn't going to work. wasn't working. <laughs> Since I had a heck of a time getting through school, I had to go to night school to graduate high school because I couldn't stand for somebody else to be working with the horses. <laughs> so that part wasn't working. Mine was out and doing. I cannot sit still.
0: So, Diane, how did you get... From riding and working on the horse farm and being snuck into the track to actually riding your first professional race
1: okay well the, when i ter- i mean I had already been galloping horses, but when I turned sixteen, then I could get my license, which I did, so I had an exercise license, and at that point, it was illegal for women to ride races you know i wasn 't even thinking to that point just getting my license to to gallop was and then going with the horses that I had handled from the time they were babies. I taught them how to lead, taught them how to get handled, groomed, and then I was actually the person that broke them as yearlings. And when they got ready to leave, and by then I was the groom, the exercise rider, the hot walker, you name it. (laughs) I was everything at the track for that one particular group of horses. And the trainer was there. He was the friend that snuck me in before I was 16. (laughs) And so, you know... And I would work at the farm before I'd go to the track, go to the track, go to night, go to night school. <laughs> so the passion was that, and I knew I wanted to go to the track, at least for now, Gallop. I wanted to be a really good exercise rider. I loved that. I was very involved in learning how to, about the training process, so I, I liked that. The meat was going on at Tampa. When that ended, those horses were getting ready to go to Gulfstream. Which was in, my, in Miami, and I wanted to go with them, and my parents were like, I, my son, I wouldn't turn 17 I wouldn't turn 17 for two more months, but I did graduate from night school early so I could go. That was the plan in the back of my head, although <laughs> I hadn't quite relayed that to my parents yet.) <laughs> I'm sure you gave them a few gray hairs along the way. Yeah, yeah, I have no doubt. And then the man that I, that I worked for that owned the horses came to my house and talked to my parents and convinced them that I was capable and that he had a friend that lived in Hollandale five minutes from the track that would rent me a room, she would look after me, and I would be fine. I would have a good place to live, and that he, they didn't have to worry about me uh, so i think I thank God for him because that <laughs> did help my parents. <laughs> Because they knew that mm, I was going.
0: <laughs> I feel Whether, like had they said no, I would you have just knew, climbed out of the window
1: at that point? They, well, I have climbed out the window a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> so they already knew that I was like that. So they did give me my their, their blessing. <laughs> so off I went. And, you know, I was the groom, the exercise rider, the hot walker, but I loved it. I was there with the trainer. We got four stalls in the steak barn and it was amazing. Buck Passer was in there in our the same barn with us. I don't know if, if you're a horse racing fan, but that was a really awesome horse in in that day And Abe's Hope. There were some really nice horses. So these that, are celebrity you know, horses. Like these right. are the there ones were that celebrity we horses. Go back and We were read. in the barn with those horses and that that was like unbelievable just to be around that was a huge fascination for me i just thought that was the greatest thing and then these horses that we had were i mean they were pretty competitive it was a small breeder and we were coming from a small racetrack but we actually were fitting in and it was it taught me so much and then it drove me to the fact that this is what i want and, yes, I want to ride. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'll just get as good as I can get doing what I'm doing. And so I did. I, you know, I learned, I learned more. I broke horses out of the gate. I work horses out of the gate with, you know, some of the top riders in the country. And did fine with them. Beat many of them in a the morning workout. So I'm like, okay, if I can do that in the morning, I can do that in the afternoon, too. So it was a pro- it was a process because then it was a few it was I guess it was three more years before um, Kathy Kussner took it to court because she actually was on the Olympic team you know got medals for the you know for the United States team and yet she couldn't ride in a race so she did take it to court in Maryland and won the right for women to ride in 1968. So and that's kind of in the middle of all the civil rights things. Yeah. So it's sort of all fit everything's in to
0: changing get. fast at right. that point. Everything in was
1: changing fast, that's exactly right. And so women got the right to ride and then the first um first woman that tried I was galloping horses, I had a license, I had a you know, a good job at, at Churchill Downs galloping horses that fall and um Let's see. One of the tra- another girl that was galloping there. There's only two of us that were galloping horses there, and the trainer that she worked for named her on a horse. It was already the last day. It was right at the last of the meet, so he named her on a horse the last day of the meet. They put it, and there was such an outcry of, you know, how women were going to ruin the sport. <laughs> so, because, I mean, because it was what the did big, they
0: call it, you, jockeys?
1: Is that what they, I read?
0: You, that that was, you were
1: they tried to call us jockheads and and a lot of things that were worse than that. <laughs> I'm sure. You know, I mean, it was just, it was such an uproar, I guess, just because it was so male-dominated that, you know, no one thought the women could do, it, do any of it. And yet we certainly could do it in the morning. You know, we certainly could work on the horse farms. We certainly could work on the backside of the track. And we did fine. It's not really that much different. I mean, I know... That was the thought that it was so much harder that it endangering people's lives, well, with anything with racehorses, it's the way it is. And so, you know, it's actually learning to work around them. It's actually the rapport that you have with them. There's so many other things more than the danger of, you know, that you have to be strong enough to do it. There's so much more to it than that. That, it, that that didn't even really make sense, which they all figured out, but it just took time. And so the first girl got boycotted. Then everybody moved to Florida. Wait, so
0: talk about the, the boycott. Does that mean once so, the woman got named in the race, all the men were like, we're not going to ride?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Cut so anyway, out. so they put that, because of all the, you know, talk and all the hubbub that went on, it was crazy. I mean, everyone was up in arms. So they moved the race to the last race of the day. And then the riders, you know, when they called for the riders to come out, no rider came. So no rider came out of the jocks room, and the race was canceled. It was a boycott. So, yep, no riders would ride against the girl.
0: So what was happening behind the racetrack, right? Like, here's this woman getting ready to ride, and then all these men are just... Uh, are they just pouting? Are they harassing well, they this were woman? Demanding Like, what is that, this hubbub like? They
1: were just demanding that women were not capable mentally, physically, whatever. I mean, they were just said that we wouldn't have the nerves, we wouldn't have the guts, we wouldn't have the strength, which is all crazy. But as it's all proved that that's not true, but, and I think deep down they probably knew it, but I don't know, I guess we were invading in something that... You know, nobody had tried to invade before. So, Diane, what
0: was the reaction like for the men that you were racing in the morning and actually keeping up with, if not beating?
1: None of them said anything to me at all. I mean, I could hear them in different circles, or you could read about it. But to me personally, you know what? I did my thing every day. I got on a lot of horses. I worked horses. I broke you. I mean, I did everything. And I personally never felt that. I never encountered that. I mean, maybe they were saying it, but they weren't saying it to me. And it, it didn't matter. If they were, I, I guess I just ignored it. I mean, to me, if they said it, I, I, I obviously didn't hear it. Because I don't listen to that. I don't listen to those voices. I don't listen to negativity. I turn it off. I will not be a part of it. So for me, I just, like you said, one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. That's the way I am. And so I just kept on my business, knowing that the day would come that for me to ride. I knew that it would happen for me. I didn't know when or how, but I knew it would. And so nothing stopped. Nothing slowed me down. I kept walking the path, that path. I got on horses. I ran the, sh- you know, I was sort of the foreman of our barn. I galloped all of the horses from my particular outfit. Then when I got through with that, I'd gallop other horses. So that was my job. That was my life. And I was going to continue that path no matter what anyone said. I didn't care. I just wasn't a part of that. I I wouldn't listen.
0: What do you think gave you the strength or the ability to let that kind of stuff slide off of you it sounds like one you weren't being like they weren't antagonistic with you
1: no they weren't but then
0: like you're reading these articles and you're hearing like all of this let's call it what it is bullshit around you right like you know that that men are deeply unhappy now in this space
1: right
0: like how did you find that strength or that focus to let it roll off you
1: I would say that comes from my faith, that, I mean, I just, I have the faith that God gave me what he gave me, the gifts, my heart, my determination, and with that, I believe that I could do whatever was in my heart, and I could, and I was going to, and so slowly, quietly, I just kept on the path that I was on, and I never let anything change that. I mean, I just—I've learned, or I, I guess I've just always had that ability to not hear the negative, and I, I won't listen to it. I just turn it off, and then that way it's not a part of me.
0: Got it. What got you to bridle and bit that day? Because that was your horse's name,
1: right? There's another. There's another thing, right? Okay. So we go to Florida. It's Florida didn't accept the ruling for, that allowed women to ride. They had to go back to court. So another girl, Barbara Jo Rubin, took it to court, and she won the won the right for women to ride. She got named on a horse at Tropical Park, and the riders once again boycotted her. And so there we are. They wouldn't come out to ride in the race that she was named in. That was it. So she didn't ride that. That race was got canceled. They had to put, you know, they had to... Put other rider, you know, another rider on. On I guess that race got canceled, and then they went on to the rest. And so there she was, didn't get to ride. So you know, a few weeks went by. Now I had my license. I had a. I had gone to. You have to get a license. You have to work a horse three quarters of a mile out of the gate in company with the stewards and the st- the starter, which is the man that operates the starting gate, and the stewards are the head of like the rules and regulations of each racetrack. Got it. And so they have to watch you work a horse out of the gate. It would be just exactly like a race, only in the morning. So they, you'd go to the gate on one specific horse, you set it up, and then you have to wait until there was at least six other horses that would break out of the gate with you so it would simulate a race. And then you would work that horse three-quarters of a mile, which is the average distance of most races, and – they would see that you were capable of doing that, which I did. I worked the horse out of the gate. Actually, she was, the, you know, the horse I worked out of the gate beat the rest of the horses that were that I was working with. So, you know, it showed that I was capable. I did a good job, broke good. She breathed really well, came to the finish. They obviously could see that I was certainly capable of that. So I got my, uh, my temporary license, which is to be an apprentice. So I had the license. Now I'm just waiting for horses you know for a horse to ride. So the people that I galloped for wanted me to ride their horses, but they didn't have anything ready to run at that time. And the other people, there were a few other people, like the lady that I worked her horse, Mary Kime, was a woman trainer who wanted me to ride. So she kept entering the horse, but it was in the winter there's a, like first time starters, there's probably you know just hundreds of them trying to start. And so you have to, you wait your turn, basically. It's kind of the luck of the draw to get in. And she hadn't gotten in yet, so it was all, everything was written. Any girl that was trying to get their license, I mean, it was all widely publicized. You know, I think there was only two of us at that time that were trying to get our license. And so, you know, I was, obviously I had my license. It had, there was pictures of me working the horse out of the gate, So
0: you weren't a a secret, like the fact that that there were two of you trying
1: to... No, there was no secrets because it was a huge, you know, still controversy then. I mean, everything was up in the air, and there was certainly a huge controversy about the women riding. I don't think there was anyone that was for it. It was, you know what I mean? It was just (laughs) the Jops Guild was, you know, every rider that's been killed in a race in the last hundred years this is the worst thing that could happen, and all of the, you know, all of us were like, "Well, how in the heck is that anything to do with us?" It's not like any women were around when they got killed. <laughs> so, I mean, the reasoning and the rationale, you know, didn't make sense. But everyone was certainly up in arms over it, and it was certainly lots and lots of press, which was all. Bad. <laughs> all, all <on> the <laughs> exhausting, negative side. it
0: sounds like.
1: It, it was exhausting. So, anyway, Hi- Tropical Park was over. That's where Barbara Jo got uh, boycotted. And now Hialeah, which at that time was the premier racing of the winter circuit. And so the stewards at Hialeah said, Any rider, we will not have this. Any man that boycotts will not ride against a, any girl that is named a ride. Will be fined and they will be suspended for the meat. So with that, it did change the attitude of everyone. You know what I mean? They, with them coming down so hard on what was going on, that it was that nobody was following any rules. That it was like you know lawlessness. It was crazy. So like the you know the the male jockeys were just could rule it. So it didn't. You know, it was it was sort of out of control to have two boycotts, right? Because it was legal.
0: Because the house loses, basically, right? So their their motivation was that they didn't want the race canceled.
1: You know, races are getting canceled. You know, it's creating an uproar. It didn't make sense. So with that, they did lay down the law, and then there was a couple that had just one horse in training, and I guess the man's wife said told told him he said. That poor girl, I see her trying and working because there was a lot of, you know, articles written about the horses that I was working and trying to get on to ride and going over there and trying to, you know, getting my license, working horses out of the gate. So it was all publicized, and there was a lot of press about that. So she's so been following that,
0: this story and thinking, I can help.
1: So, so anyway, when they, they had a horse to run. I'd never met them. I didn't know who they were. Nothing. Anyway, they they had a horse to run. They entered him, and the, the wife told her husband, "I want you to name that girl on your on your on my horse <laughs> and so he did. He named me on his horse, which is how you get named on a horse. I mean a, a trainer puts a, a specific jockey on their horse that's that's how it works so were you scratching
0: your head at this point like I mean, I'm sure you're excited.
1: No, I was galloping horses for the outfit that I galloped for. I knew that once they had horses ready to run, which was a Stream, that they would name me and I would ride. I felt that strongly. So I was fine. I knew that we just didn't have anything. The barn that I galloped for didn't have anything right at that moment. So I wasn't worried about it. I knew the day would come, and it was getting closer, and certainly it was getting closer. So at any rate, I was galloping a horse at Stream and another rider said, Hey, Diane, did you know you're named on a horse tomorrow at Hialeah? <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> No, I didn't know a thing about it. <laughs> so I got when I got off that horse, I went up to the start, the stable gate, which is where they have the overnights. Picked up an overnight, which has the list of the races for the next day with the riders on them. And sure enough, I was named on a horse.
0: <laughs> what did that feel like in that moment to see your name?
1: Well, I mean, it was pretty cool. Except, you know, I had nothing. I had no gear, so I had to. When I got through working that morning, I had to go to the jockey store and in Hialeah and buy my my apparel whatever I needed for the race and uh, I will say a rider that I knew that was in my corner Danny Gargan came by and said hey I'll loan you my saddle that way you don't have to go buy one in case this doesn't work out (laughs) so I said okay great he said no problem so he said you don't have to buy that anyway just get what you need and you'll have my saddle I said "All right, excellent so that's what I did. Call the next Riders are supposed to check in with a clerk of scales at 9 a.m. They tell you, you know, what time you're supposed to be in the jock's room. You report your weight. And then I was like, okay, well, what time and where? Because they weren't putting me in the men's jock's room. Yes. <laughs> so they had actually a little office that was the HPBA, which is Horseman's Benevolent and Protective Association. Anyway, there was their office – was relatively close to the paddock in the men's jocks room so they decided that's where they would put me <laughs> and so at the a point time that i'm supposed to come in i think noon i'm supposed to you're supposed to be separated then you go the jocks have to come into the jocks room two hours before that race you're not allowed to talk to anyone about the race and all that anyway so that's what they told me to go to the hpba room at noon which, that's, where, that's what I did. So <laughs> so is
0: anyone with you in these moments, or are you just in this office, like,
1: wearing all well, there your was, gear? They were, they were working in there when I got there, but they left a few minutes afterwards, and that was it. I was there for the rest of the afternoon.
0: <laughs> so you're just hanging out by yourself, like, waiting for this first race that you've probably that's, envisioned for years. <laughs> that's exactly right. Were you doing cartwheels? Were you nervous? Like, what were you
1: doing (laughs) in there? No, I was fine. I just, you know, getting my gear and uh, organized. The valet came over, brought the saddle that I'm supposed to use, and uh, just trying to get things organized. No, just bought a racing form and sitting there reading the form. (laughs) Because you knew
0: that that this was going to be a really momentous thing if this race happened as expected, right?
1: Did you know you were going to break a barrier at that point? You know what? I don't think that way. So I just wanted to ride. So to (laughs) me, all I cared about was riding. That's all I cared about. Whether the rest of it was immaterial and it just didn't... I just didn't... I don't think that way. So just for me, that finally, finally... The greatest thing was that I was going to finally get to ride. That is the only thing that mattered to me. That was it. And so I was happy for that. I mean, for me, you know, it was a long shot. The horse was like 50 to 1 or something. I mean, he didn't have a chance. But the fact that I was getting to ride, that's the only thing that mattered. So, no, I wasn't. I'm I'm not the nervous type. So just... The thrill to me was that, yes, I'm finally going to live my dream. I mean, so that was that. was it for me, just the, the hope that, yes, it's going to work. And I didn't feel like they were going to boycott me. It felt, you know, at that point, everything seemed pretty quiet as far as, you know, No, the riders weren't up in arms. It sounded like everyone was going to, you know, come out and ro- ride against me. So, I mean, I thought it was, it seemed fine. And, uh, no, I don't think that the breaking the barriers, I mean, I, don't, I just don't think that way. It was just finally, I'm going to finally get to ride. That's the, That was the feeling that I had.
0: So you're in this office, you're mentally preparing, you're preparing your gear, you're excited that you're going to get to ride. But now you have to go... From this office to the gate.
1: Well, all right. So you know you weigh in. So their ballot comes, and they had it. <laughs> they didn't want. It was crazy. So they didn't want you to come inside the jock's room. So they put a scale outside the outside the jock's room. So I went there, got weighed. Everything was good. Then I have to go back to my room, and then they call for. Then they the ballots go out. Tack up the horse, and then they call for for the riders to come to come out so that's fine and when they called for the riders they sent an armed security guards i think there was like i don't know two or three guards that on each side of me from the paddock from my room to the paddock and if you if you've ever have you seen that picture yes it's yeah i mean it's just a huge crowd it's almost crazy, because I almost don't understand the, I don't know, the <laughs> how it could be that, you know, the excitement of it all. It just, the, I mean, it was a fascination for the people that a woman was actually going to do that, and it seemed so, I don't know, ordinary to me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was what I did. Every day since you were every like... day, seven <laughs> days a week. <laughs> and I've been doing it for quite a while. And so I almost didn't understand the fascination of it, but it was okay. I was okay with it. As long as I got to ride, I was okay with all of it. Just please let it happen. That's the way I felt. Just let it happen. So went out met the trainer for the very first time, saw the horse for the first time, got my instructions got my leg up, and went to the gate. So it was fine. I felt comfortable and good, just like it would be all right. I knew it would be. And, I mean, I will say, when I got in the gate, Craig Perrette, which was one of the top riders of the day, said, Diane you forgot to put your goggles down so obviously there was a little bit of (laughs) (laughs) i guess there was a little bit more going on than i thought a little rookie, rookie action happening yeah exactly exactly so with that put my goggles down and about 60 seconds later they rang the bell and we were off i knew what i was doing from then on so i mean it was all it was what i'd worked for it was what i'd hoped for and i knew i could do it and i did I knew it would be fine. The and picture that
0: you described, sort of leading up to the race, was you being let out by armed guards and just being swarmed and surrounded by a giant crowd. One thing I want to understand, because it is hard to tell from that picture, was it a hostile energy or was it no, curiosity?
1: Oh, no it, no. it was curiosity. That's all. It was strictly curiosity. No, it was just like i guess they. i mean it was like people not believing that it was really going (laughs) to (laughs) happen or that that a woman actually really could do that but obviously women can do anything that they want to anything that we've led to do or called to do we can do end of story (laughs) you're like we're done here it's possible yeah exactly it's possible it's not only possible, but it's probable, and it's happening.
0: <laughs> what was the reaction after the race but from men and also from women?
1: you know what I'm sorry to say that I almost think there was a more positive reaction from men, and I don't that I almost don't understand, but some of the women, certainly not all I mean there was plenty of them that were extremely happy for it but some of them, I I almost don't understand that some of them seem to not like that. That some of them were disappointed that it actually happened, and that I I don't understand
0: how so. But, like what made you think? Well, that?
1: just that there were, just that I heard some negative comments from some of the women that were involved in the sport about you know she was this or that or not that great or whatever, whatever. Just that it wasn't, you know, you would have hoped that it would have been more positive. But there was actually some very positive comments from some of the men, and mostly like sports writers, I would say, some of them were were very, very positive. (laughs) Well, that no matter what guess what? The world just still kept turning. <laughs> you know what? Nothing, The nothing shut down. Nobody got killed. Everything, the race just went on just like it would if, if another guy was on that horse. <laughs> you know, she put it in the right place, broke good, didn't cause any problems. Everything was fine. It wouldn't have mattered who was on the horse. It was 50 to one or whatever it was. And it, Beat two or three horses, and that's about what it would have done no matter who was on it. <laughs> so there was a lot of good things. There was a few, like I said, uh, some negative, a little bit from a few women, and I don't know why. I, that I, I cannot understand, but it didn't matter. It all changed, but I will say it changed, but it was, it was slow. It was slow coming around. I'm going to say it took a decade before it started getting a lot more open-minded, because in the seventies it was very, very hard for for me personally and for women. I mean, hard for me just in the way that no matter what I did and how hard I worked, it was so hard to get mounts. The the outfit, of course, I was married to Don, and of course they rode me on all of their horses. But that was twenty horses, a twenty horse stable. And that's not very much for a rider to ride. You know what I mean? When most jockeys are, are riding a couple hundred horses, you know, they have two or three hundred that they're riding. Oh, because wow. It, to, so ride, to ride like three or four or five races a day, it, it takes a, you know, a bigger pool of horses that you're drawing from. So for me to ride the 20 that we had in training – and maybe not all of them were running at the same time. That means a couple, two or three a week where everybody else is riding three or four a day. And no matter how many horses I would get on for other people, you know, I galloped all of ours. And then I would, you know, get horses for outside people. I would breeze horses. I would go gallop horses. Whatever it took, I'd, work, I'd go to training centers in the afternoon and get on more horses. Anything to try to get more mounts. And yet I could win races, I could win races on horses that were long shots, and you won
0: a lot of races
1: winning a photo against a leading rider, I could do all that, and yet I still couldn't pick up more mounts. That was my biggest frustration. I mean because I loved it, and I loved well I loved what I did. I loved the horses that we had I, was, I helped with the training part, I helped with all of it. I mean I was a you know I, I was a groom for some of them if they were difficult or whatever. So I was a part of everything. I did the feeding, I did the leg work. I mean, there's nothing I didn't do at the barn because I loved it. I loved the whole operation of a racing stable. That I loved doing all of the work. But I wanted to ride races.
0: Yeah. Do you think it was the controversy that made it hard that people weren't ready to touch it or touch the they situation or to be it it. affiliated?
1: I'm, I'm sure. It was the controversy. It was just it was just the error that it just, the time just hadn't quite come for it to be, you know, that equal. Because at that point, women probably made up half of the workforce on the backside, but they still weren't ready for women to ride races.
0: And that number is fairly light, right? I mean, like, when I was getting ready for this interview, I was thinking about, like, it seemed weird to me being outside the race world, right? That right. when I think of growing up, like people, you know, in my town or or locally that had horses, they were usually owned by the mom. You know, the the daughters contributed to the care of it. Like there like I didn't know any little boys or teenagers growing Absolutely. up that were like I really want to ride horses. It was always feminine
1: energy, right?
0: It was always women and girls. 100%. That I saw.
1: And that's, it makes up so much of the help on the backside. And I mean, in my business now, I sell horses as an agent, so I'm like a real estate company for horses, and <laughs> 95% of my business is women. They all ride. It's women that ride. I mean, they're sport horses, yes, but it's 95% of the business that I have is because women buy horses <laughs> because they love to ride. So it is different in the racing world, I will say, it's more male oriented, but there's certainly plenty of women that make the sport up. But that is mostly working with horses because they love them. They most women just love horses. They and well they're animal lovers. And so I would say that I don't know if it's You know, why there aren't more? There's certainly more than there used to be, and there's certainly... It's more open-minded. I don't know if it will ever be equal. If it is, it's going to be a long time coming. But it's certainly better. And if a woman has the potential and is a very good rider, which you've seen some of them that have come along that were really good riders that actually got mounts and that, you know what I mean, were able to compete at that level... And it is a numbers game. And so with the, num- the numbers of not having as many women involved at that level, then you're, it's just going to take longer for them to get to the point where somebody will step up and win the derby. It's just time. It's time and, and basically getting the right ho- horse and being able to ride the right amount of horses to pick up that mount.
0: Got it, because it's still quite small, right? Like, so I looked at the Kentucky Derby numbers, for example, because that was a race that you ran, right? And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think as of this May, there was there's only been six women to run that race. Like, such a That's huge, right. popular. I mean, those are the kind of races that I know, right? Like, I don't know much sure. about horse racing outside of the Kentucky Derby and and the right. Triple Crown events,
1: right? Obviously it's it's hard to get to that point because you can if you wanted to generalize, you could take the numbers of every jockey colony, say in the United States, okay, at every racetrack in the United States, take those riders, there's probably a fair amount of women that are riding at the smaller tracks. But if you mix that in with the men too, and then you take that population of riders against the ones that are riding in the derby, it's probably the same percentage. You know what I'm saying? Because if so that's it's... how difficult it is. If there's 25,000, well, I think twenty two thousand three 3-year-olds that would be the crop of thoroughbreds raised in the United States, okay? Okay. So out of 20 22,000, 20 make the grade. Wow. Right to run in the Derby.
0: So that's already like winning the lottery
1: right there. Yes.
0: See what I'm saying? And, and then that's you're the matching problem. the jockeys to those horses. Matching the
1: jockeys then to pick up that mount. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that is where the numbers game comes into it. And it is like the lottery. And so that's the problem. That is the problem. So there are, you know, no, there aren't the, the percentage of women riding, but there's certainly a fair percentage riding that you, when you go to the, the smaller tracks around the country there are a fair amount of women that are riding and that are doing very well but it's just it is a numbers game and that's the thing it's the lottery it's the lottery to get to the derby it's huge money that goes into the the breeding and so those outfits that have that kind of money that are buying the horses that are capable of winning that it's the whole game the whole gamut of that that makes it so difficult.
0: Yes, this is <laughs> fascinating. And I mean, it, it feels to me when you're saying this, like my first thought that comes to mind is how seemingly parallel it is to even something like the entrepreneurial space, right? Where like women, and especially women of color, are really struggling to get the same funding, right? Like, which is also the numbers game. There's all of these startups that are happening that all of them are searching for and competing for this same pool of money to have their idea come to fruition. But here it is again, that numbers game too, and that we're just seeing, how do I put it? We're seeing that balance. Like, when you look at a race like the Kentucky Derby, or you look at how baby businesses are funded right Right. like you're seeing um the the distilled version of kind of what's happening underneath right like it might be one woman riding in the kentucky derby with all male jockeys around her but that's indicative of kind of how everything is skewed underneath
1: that's right exactly
0: got it
1: so it is i think it's it's you know, you have to look at the broader picture to, to understand what's going on. So I'll just give you one little depiction. Okay, so in 1969, I rode my first race. They put me in a little room somewhere, right? Okay, so I went home, which was I consider home was at that time, Florida Downs, which is now Tampa Bay Downs. To, they, the people that I rode Bridle and Bit for, that was my first ride, shipped that horse to Florida Downs. So I, I went there, and that actually he won there because the competition is so much easier. So that gave me my first win, and that was only two weeks after I rode my first race. But that horse, just the competition. So anyway, they, not knowing what to do with me, okay, <laughs> they put me in a ladies' room in the grandstand. Oh All right, God. they just they kind of cordoned it off, and that was my jock's room. That was in 1969. Well, then I rode there some in the early seventies, and two years they used the ladies' room, and then after that they bought a little tiny trailer. I mean, tiny. It could maybe two or three girls could sit in there and wait for the ride. Wait for the so the horses know, got a bigger wait trailer for the, to ride your race. Okay, so that was in the seventies. All right. Well, now I'm going on, you know, mostly mostly Kentucky, Churchill, Keeneland, you know, different different racetracks all around the country uh, on the East Coast. Anyway, so now I've m- moved to Virginia. I'm training horses at the training center. I'm actually riding the horses that I train. So I'm still doing the same thing 30 years later. All right, so in 1999, I come back. That's 30 years. And I'm, I'm training horses, and I'm riding the horses that I train, And I come back to the jocks room to ride there. All right, now I come back 30 years later, and the jocks room, the same jocks room, only they've increased the size of it, okay. And now it's 50-50, women to men, the same jocks room. The downstairs is the men, the upstairs is the women's. The same, all the facilities, they have the TV monitors, they have the saunas, they have lunch bar everything it's completely equal 50-50 women to men and there were just as many women riding there as there were men so the jockey colony had 75 or 80 riders and half of them were women that is wild so to me i thought that was pretty interesting that here it is 30 years later and the difference that i got to see <laughs> for that i was very proud I'm actually the one that got all that started. I did feel then a little sense of pride.
0: This is amazing to hear because I think the perception from the outside looking in, if you don't know this world or get to see that, it's hard to think that this is, that the fact that only six women have run the Kentucky Derby, right? Like that seems so disproportionate, but that sounds like such a marked change in 30 years. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, it would have been nice if it was faster than that. You mentioned the word
0: pride. What else were you feeling or thinking when you saw that?
1: I was thinking that we have come a long way. And I I mean, that part, I was happy to, I was definitely happy to see that little by little, we were beginning to see equality playing into things. And I, I, do, I love to see that. Because for me, it's not about man or woman, black or white. For me, it's about we're all equal in God's eyes. And for me to be able to see that there was a difference, that yes, when people can see that we're all capable of doing the job, we're all capable And so why wouldn't we have that opportunity? And that's what's important to me, is that everybody gets to do what's in their heart, whatever that is, that we all have that chance. We all have that. It doesn't matter who we are. Can't we all have that opportunity? You know, I mean, God created us each. He looks at us all equally. And so why men, and I'm using men, men as an overall, you know, as people, why can't people see each of us for an individual, what we're capable of, what we can do? So I just hate the fact that there's prejudice of any kind, whether it's men, women, no matter what it is for the sport, whatever it is, can't we all just have that equality you know what I'm saying and so the fact that we could that here we were and I and it was just so neat in that here we were when I went in everybody was you know friendly everybody was like there was no difference that the you know you were a woman there was no difference if you were the youngest one or in my case I was the oldest one (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean but we were all there together Equal, which is what, in my heart, I've always hoped for. No matter what I did, I mean, obviously I've worked a lot of places. I've run a lot of big barns. I've trained horses. And everybody is equal to me. We all work together. And so the job that you do, that's your your job. And you should, you know, if you're good at it, then I want you to have credit for that. So, to me, that's what's important, and I was so happy to see that. We were all there together, all of us, and the cool thing was, I don't think anybody even realized at at first who I was, that I was, (laughs) and then it's like, once they were like, oh, wow, (laughs) you know what I mean, that they realized that, oh, you're the one that got all this started, (laughs)
0: Oh my god! So were they just looking at you like, "Who is this old woman racing?" <laughs> so, sort of.
1: <laughs> I wish
0: I could have been there to see their faces when it was revealed it, who you actually it were. Was
1: pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy, yep, yeah. it was. It, it. I don't know. It definitely. I don't know. For some reason, it did strike me as pretty cool. <laughs>
0: As it should. You earned that. You certainly did. Diane, I have a different question for you because part of what this show is about is helping women navigate their way around bullshit, but also sidestepping or being resilient when they burn out. And, you know, what we're talking about, like what this story that you saw play out over 30 years, you were working really hard and you got to see where that went and what that did for other women. But I have to imagine, were there moments on the way that you ever just burned out, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually?
1: No, I would say that no. I mean, there were times, of course, I mean, my discouragement, I guess, would be that I wanted more out of, that, out of the sport that I felt that I was capable of. Of more so I mean I would get a little discouraged because no matter how hard I tried I, I couldn't get the mounts that I would have liked to have gotten but with me I'm like okay if I can't do that then what other things do I love so I did take up other things that that I love to do I have to fill my time my mind with things that I love so in that case I had dogs. <laughs> I actually bred terriers. I did, you know, went to dog shows. I hunted them. And, you know, I mean, I did I just always am doing things that I'm interested in. So, I was a breeder. I went to a lot of different functions in the terrier club. So, I mean, I got involved in other things while well, I continued the horses, doing what I love, but I I stay busy. I want to stay busy doing things that interest me, things that I love. And, you know, when I came home, now that I have a business, I always want to do something to help somebody, and so I love dogs. So with my dogs, I got involved in the therapy program. So, I mean, I stay busy, but I always am thinking of ways that, you know, I can accomplish something, and whether it's in whatever way that might be. So with me, I just stay focused on what I want to do and how can I accomplish more and what can i do whether it's helping family whether it's trying to see what i can accomplish for other people but for me i don't allow burnout because god gave us one life and i want to make the very most out of that life i don't allow those thoughts to cross my mind i mean i've had lots of injuries and accidents but So I've had downtime just because for healing purposes, Mm -hmm. but otherwise I refuse to let anything discourage me. We have one life, so I'm going to always come back to to what God has given me. I'm always going to come back to my faith. I'm going to come back to that part of my life and that part of my upbringing. How am I going to fulfill that? that destiny. God gave me gifts. He gave me purpose. And so my goal is always to fulfill that, to do what he's given me in my life. I want to do his will. So that is what keeps me grounded. It's what keeps me going forward. And it keeps me from getting discouraged.
0: And you have had some pretty mighty accidents from what I've read. I have. It sounds like your faith keeps you grounded, but how were you able to slow things down and stay still for a little while, like when you were healing?
1: I guess because you have to. And so it is a mindset. I mean, because at that point, you know the only way you're going to heal because i've tried to push myself before things were healed when i've had you know horrific you know compound fractures and i mean just bones that wouldn't heal and you know grafts that weren't working and acls that were getting replaced that weren't you know that i was pushing too hard to, for them to heal properly so with that i had to to realize that it's not going to work unless you slow down. So, I mean, I think just circumstances <laughs> made me realize that it's the only way it's going to work. And so just having that, that knowledge and that, you know what I mean, that there's no way it's going to heal or work unless you slow down. And so with that, you do. You have to, and so you do what you have to. And right. I just made myself take that time to recover. I had to. And then with that, when I'd come back, I was strong again.
0: Right. Because, I mean, there is nothing like a full set of broken ribs and a broken leg to remind you that you have to take a time out for a little bit and that you have to stop. I think one of the things that's a real struggle for some of the women listening is they hit these moments of burnout, and maybe it's an, an accident like you experienced, or it's more like the chronic burnout where they're just slowly exhausting themselves to the point where they're completely depleted over time. And I think that slowing down is hard. How do you think those moments help you pace yourself going forward?
1: For me, because I have to, I mean, I have to work every day to make a living. So, for me, I cannot, I've discovered over all these years that nobody, you cannot force anything to happen. No one can force things to happen. So, with that, I just say, okay, God, here's my life. This is it. Here it is. It's yours. And so, I let it unfold as he will have it unfold for me. I mean, that's my secret to making it is i just give everything to god that's it I, I totally stop worrying and for me nature is important and getting out my animals are important so for me i i have to get out i like to move i go to the country and that's why i live in the country but i go to the country i go hike 5 miles i get out and do something every single day i take myself back Get away from everything that's driving you crazy or driving you to, you know, for your work or whatever it is. I back off and do something that can just make you relax, calm down. You have to. So you do feel
0: that impatience. You do feel that frustration some days. You just have learned, like, I need to get outside. Like, this is not working like I wanted it to. This is not going as smoothly as I want it to, you know to, pun intended, pull the reins back a little.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right. So I just back off and just let it alone. And I know if I do that, I turn it over to God, and then I just back off. I know it'll work. And for me, every day I say, what can I do to help someone today? What can I do to make something better for somebody And so with that, I'm always trying to think of ways that you can do to help somebody else. If you do that, that's a huge help, helping other people, serving in some way. To me, that's been a huge, huge satisfaction. But if you can just put yourself in the position where you can try to think of ways to do good in the world, to help other people, and to let God take over... To me, then you have the secret of what it takes to find peace.
0: Oh, Diane, you have so been of service today. I feel like you can check that box off with this conversation because I feel like it's been such an inspiring conversation. There's so much to learn from your story. I want to ask you one more question, if you don't mind. Sure. We've talked about your story. We've talked about what's helped you keep going. We've moved around. We've we've talked about the sport. But what do you most want LeVital Course Salon listeners to know or to, to take away from our conversation today?
1: I just want to tell anyone that whatever they have inside of them, whatever it is, they can do it. <laughs> I don't care. You you don't listen to outside voices. Stop. If you know if this is your dream, this is your goal, it's in your heart, then you don't listen to what anybody else says in the story. Only if they're positive and they're help it's helpful, you listen. If it's negative and not helpful, you don't listen. So that's the thing with me. Don't listen to negativity. If it's in your heart. You know it and you believe it, then you can do it. And don't let anyone tell you differently. So do what's in your heart and it will always work. And don't let anyone tell you that you aren't good enough, you can't do it, you're not capable. You are capable. Because I'm not, I was certainly an ordinary, everyday nothing, a nobody. And yet, how? Why am I the first woman that ever rode a race in this country? Why am I the first woman that ever rode in the Derby? <laughs> uh, only because I didn't give up. Not because I'm sure in the hell not better than anybody else. But I accomplished things. I'm in a history book and not for any other reason other than I wouldn't give up.
0: Diane, truly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, you're more than welcome. It's been my pleasure.
0: Well, great gobs of fire. This is Kara again, and I hope you're as inspired as I am after hearing this conversation with Diane. I wanted to remind you to check out the show notes. That's where you're going to learn more about Diane, including including seeing the iconic photo that we talked about in this episode, as well as links to her business and a link to pre-order the forthcoming book by Mark Schrager called Diane Crump, A Horse Racing Pioneer's Life in the Saddle. Please help me amplify her legendary story of breaking a major barrier in the world of sports. Also, please make sure you subscribe to Levital Core Salon wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can text the word SALON to four 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 nine nine nine. so that's three fours and then three nines, to have new episodes emailed to you twice a month. And I want to say thank you to so many of you. Thank you to all of you returning listeners, your love and support and encouragement to keep making this podcast always, always is help. And I want to say welcome and thank you to any new listeners, and I hope you'll come back. I also want to thank my team, so my husband slash producer Craig Snyder, for balancing all the levels and working his Pro Tools magic to have something that's easy on your ear to listen to, and my assistant Darlene Victoria, who just helps keep this train on the track and me on track and everything linked and i's dotted and t's crossed I, I couldn't do it without both of them and i also want to thank rishi deer and his band elephant stone as well as the high dials for my most excellent theme song and before you all skedaddle don't forget you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy don't let bullshit or
1: burnout stop you